0: you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com play100 and use code PLAY100. That's code play play 100 at prizepickscom slash play 100 for a first deposit match up to hundred dollars price picks daily fantasy sports made easy it is sny.tv's the juice on the cuse podcast covering syracuse basketball lacrosse and football
1: Today on the Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.tv, we'll be talking about Syracuse football's early signing day and another frustrating loss for the basketball team. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman and our guest today, is Stephen Bailey from com and 24-7 Sports. Stephen, thanks so much for coming back on the program. How are you today? I'm doing great. Always appreciate you having me on. Yeah, of course, Stephen. We'll get you started on this one. The early signing period is this Wednesday. So far, Syracuse only has ten commitments in its twenty twenty two class. Is this a cause for concern, and why are the numbers so low?
2: Uh, I think, you know, I think part of it's explainable by the onset of the transfer portal. Right, you're seeing a nationwide trend of teams not taking as many early commitments as they would because they want to leave space uh, in their scholarship class to to add you know, maybe a dozen transfers or, or 15, you know, I think there's going to be different philosophies by different coaching staffs. And, and currently it looks like the scholarship relief, you know, may only be another seven scholarships, uh, which would put you yeah, at potentially 32. So, uh, you know, teams that are really looking to be in the next year, I think are going to load up on transfers in a way this year we haven't seen. And seriously, it kind of fits that bill, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it, John Lopak has basically said that Dino needs to put up some results next year, so I think transfers make a lot of sense. You know, I also think they did not have a you know a great recruiting cycle, and, and maybe you know maybe part of that's just coming off a one in ten year and then having a five and seven year. But you know, when you look down this class, it's certainly you know I think there's a couple guys to get excited about, but you know compared to early signing periods of the past uh not, not quite as formidable a group.
1: That's a great segue into my next question because you mentioned there are a couple of guys to get excited about in this class. Who are they?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I would start with LaQuint Allen, a two-way star out of Millville High School in New Jersey. Just, was just named the Gatorade New Jersey Player of the Year. Um, coming this year, he's play running back, but played two ways, played linebacker from Millville as well. I mean, you got all these statistical numbers. Uh, as a running back, I think really powerful, really a really direct runner. Um, maybe doesn't have incredible straight-line speed or incredible elusiveness, but just good balance. Uh, like I said, yeah, I think he he wins at the point of contact <laughs> very often, which changes a little bit when you get to the ACC, but I, I think he's someone who, uh, shoot, he could come in and, and be the backup next year, right? I mean, right now, Sean Tucker is uh, you know one of three... Scholarship return or scholarship backs projected around. roster you got LaQuint, you got returning freshman Josh Hostels. More, more of a power back, so maybe there's a role for both of them. But I, I think LaQuint, somebody you could see next year. Um, and I think Dom Foster is a really interesting player. Syracuse loading up uh, at defensive back this year. They've got four defensive backs out of their ten commits. Uh, Dom, traditionally a receiver, growing up, ended up playing cornerback a little bit at the end of last year and. and you know, went to camp as the cornerback, and now he's committed to an ACC school as a cornerback. His highest rated commit on the twenty four seven composite. Six uh, two, long arms. Um, you know, quick hips. Played quarterback as well, so he's got a good concept of the route tree and and how coverages are supposed to work. So, you know, he might need a little bit of time to kind of adjust up there, but I think he's got some physical tools that that set him apart a little bit.
1: You mentioned the transfer portal will play a huge role for Syracuse this year. Who are some of the players we should be paying attention to?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll start by breaking it up positionally. I think that's
1: clear offensive
2: line is a priority. Syracuse has publicly offered three offensive linemen. I don't know if they'll get any of them. Miles Frazier, an FIU guy who's getting blue blood offers, seems unrealistic. Willie Tyler, the former Texas offensive lineman who was committed to Syracuse last year and basically committed right before he was supposed to come up to campus, ended up at Louisiana Monroe for a year and and had a pretty solid year. So he's got an offer. I believe he's taken visits to Rutgers and SMU. Um, And then Hunter Norzat from Cornell also has an offer. So I think you're going to see Syracuse going after an offensive lineman. And then I think – defensive end is the other position I keep an eye on again as soon he's hosted. Uh all transfer Jared Burst who is now getting courted by half of the SEC. Again, not too if he's going to be able to pull that one. Um, there are some other fences. Uh there's one from Ohio who they just offered. I think he could kinda of end up being that next guy. Um you know, but I think there's probably others uh others as well. And the report, who, they, who they probably haven't gone to yet or hasn't gone out. I just think offensive line and defensive line are really where you're going to see uh, see the emphasis be placed.
1: And, Stephen, we'll get you out of here on this one. There are plenty of 2022 seniors that are uncommitted or Syracuse is trying to flip. Who are they?
2: Yeah, I mean, the big one is, is Dennis Jocks. He was on campus this weekend. He uh, committed from Northwestern. Um, you know, defensive end, edge defender type guy, uh, versatile piece. I think he fit really well in the three-three-five. You know, he's kind of at the top of that list. Um, you know, Avery Powell, one of the New Jersey's top defensive backs, was was on campus this weekend as well for an official visit. Um, you know, another edge rusher, Isaiah Smith, who uh, who is committed to SMU. Syracuse has been taking a hard look at. It. He may end up not signing until February, which actually may may be better for Syracuse, the chance to get them on campus. So those are a few of the names uh, that I've I've been monitoring. But, again, I do think, you know, I don't think you're going to see a bunch of people, you know, come out of the woodwork and then end up signing 17 or 18 guys like you see in the past. I do think it's going to be a small group on Wednesday to keep space for the transfers.
1: Stephen, thanks so much for coming back on the program again. Stephen Bailey from CuseNation.com and 24-7 Sports doing an incredible job of covering the entire Syracuse football recruiting world. Stephen, we always appreciate the time. Enjoy the recruiting season. We'll speak with you soon. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks as always. Always love speaking with Stephen, and I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, Syracuse with another frustrating loss, this time to its arch-rival Georgetown on Saturday, 79-75. to Syracuse blew a 10-point halftime lead and couldn't get stops down the stretch yet again. You were there to see the game. What did you see from Press Row?
3: First of all, Wes, it was just a fantastic game-day atmosphere. It's exactly the reason why Syracuse and Georgetown should be playing each year in this post-Big East era. Great turnout of fans, both from Syracuse and Georgetown, about 14,000 at Capital One Arena, and it was really intense in the second half as both teams went back and forth, exchanging the lead before Georgetown put it away in the final minute plus. And in this game, Wes, I thought it was kind of the epitome of what we've seen so far for the Syracuse season, the first half racing out to a 10-point lead, the opposition making adjustments at halftime. Syracuse struggling at both ends of the court in the second half, losing that 10-point lead, coming back, taking the lead, again going back and forth, and just not being able to get enough offense in the final minutes to pull it out. But again, the theme is about the defense, and Georgetown had a very quick passing lineup. And from my vantage point in one of the corners of the arena, what really stood out to me time and time again Syracuse centers simply can't get out quick enough in the zone to get to corner shooters. Jesse Edwards and Frank Selim try as they might. They simply can't do it. And foot speed's an issue with the Syracuse starters in the zone, and good three-point shooting teams, such as Georgetown, are going to burn Syracuse more often than not. And that really stood out to me from the defensive standpoint. And my one other thought is on this, West. I think the top three reserves have to play more. I don't see why they shouldn't play more because when they get in there and sell them Samir Torrance and Benny Williams, they can buckle down on defense. They can really concentrate on trying to get their best defensive effort in four or five minute stretches. The more they play early in the season, I think the better they're going to become by the time February and March roll around. And at the same time, it's not, I don't think, doing any injustice to give the starting five a little bit more of a breather. I know the coach always talks about there's four media timeouts in each half and there's plenty of time to rest. But I could really see this team was worn out in the second half, uh, especially the starters who, who played most of the minutes. Only in Selem subbed in the second half. And as it was, the three top reserves only played 19 minutes. So I really, you know, I'm scratching my head about that. You know, I'm not gonna go after Jim Beheim and dispute Hall of Fame credentials. He's been doing it for so long, but I really do question why the reserves aren't playing more and in different strategic situations in the games.
1: Brad, Syracuse is five and five and went three and four during their gauntlet of tough games against high majors. That's not a record we're used to seeing in December from this team. With the end of non-conference play and the start of the ACC schedule coming up, do you still see this team recovering and making a push for an NCAA tournament bid?
3: I do see brighter days ahead, West, and it is the theme of my Orange Watch article this year. It's the second time in three seasons Syracuse is 5-5 five and five after 10 games. It's the third time in five years, and that really has the fan base on edge. Now, part of that is because the talent level, let's face it, since that undefeated start to the season in 13-14, the first year in ACC play, the, the talent hasn't been there since, the, the, you know, the Final Four run in 13, then the surprise Final Four run in 16. The last few years here now, 17, 18, 19, 20, of course, the pandemic season, uh, 21 had the burst at the end, and now here in 21-22, sitting at 5-5 five and five after the first 10 games. Part of it's due to how the schedule is made up now. There's going to be the games against the mid-majors, But in any given season, you're going to play a mid-major or smaller school who's experienced, has a lot of veteran players, and is well coached, and that's what happened in the Colgate game. You're going to play in preseason tournaments, which for the most part are stacked, whether that's in the Bahamas, uh, the Disney tournaments, uh, events in New York City, events in Uncasville, Connecticut, Hall of Fame tip-off events, those kind of tournaments They're all stacked with great competition, as was the battle for Atlantis with Syracuse this season. Then you're going to have one-off games like the Jimmy V Classic, which also you know you're going to play a top-line opponent. And again, as I said earlier, I applaud Syracuse for playing a team of the caliber of Georgetown every season. And, you know, Georgetown is always going to give Syracuse a tough game. So that's part of it, the schedule. Part of it's the talent. Now let's see what happens. This is the annual one-week break uh, in December between games with fall semester exams. Coach Beheim alluded after the Georgetown loss that the team, quite frankly, needs more practice time. So they'll get that this week. We've always looked at what a great professor he is at the game of basketball and his teaching with his coaching staff. So let's see if the team learns from its mistakes and improves. They get you know, a 1-8 Lehigh team uh, in the first game back then step up a little bit with Cornell uh, in in the second game before going back to ACC play and get kind of a break in the ACC schedule. First two games at home against Georgia Tech and Virginia, and actually five of the first seven are in the Dome. So everything is set up now to see improvement, learn from the mistakes, have a a stretch of games at the Dome, don't have to travel. There's been quite a bit of travel in the first uh, seven weeks of the season. So I do uh, remain optimistic that, you know, the ACC is, you know, somewhat mediocre this year, going to be tough to, you know, like the Georgetown game. You could see no surprise in winning that game. You could see no surprise in falling and losing in that game. But I think that's how it's going to be for the most part with about eight or nine of the 15 uh, ACC teams. But I do see better days ahead And I see this team really competing strong in January, February into early March and be really close right there for making a run in postseason play.
1: And Brad, we are right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts.
3: Following the Heisman Trophy award ceremony this past weekend, I was thinking back to the 60-year anniversary of Syracuse's one and only Heisman Trophy winner, the great Ernie Davis, the first African-American to win the award. And, Wes, I've written about this before and I always still think it. Syracuse, in my mind, should have three Heisman Trophy winners in its fabled football career, where Jim Brown should have won it in 1956 instead of Paul Hornig, and certainly the great Don McPherson should have won it in 1987 instead of Notre Dame's Tim Brown. But after the Heisman Trophy ceremony, to me, always reflect on the great career, the great life cut way too short of Syracuse all-time standout Ernie Davis.
1: Brad, my closing thoughts are on Syracuse kicker Andre Schmidt, the former Lou Groza winner, announced over the weekend that he will be returning to the Orange for the 2022 season. Schmidt was outstanding his freshman year, setting a Syracuse record for field goals made with 30, but his production has tailed off significantly since then. He kicked a career-low 64.3% of his field goals in 2021. That also included two missed PATs. Syracuse needs Schmidt to be at the top of his game, and with the special teams coordinator now in place, hopefully Schmidt can get back to that Lou as a form. That's it for us. For Brad Bierman, this is Wes Chang reminding you that nothing wise was ever printed on an apron. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.tv, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.tv audio network.